It is great to be with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John. I'm part of the team here at C3, and it really is my privilege to be able to share with you today and complete our series, Summer at the Movies. If you are new or you're visiting with us today, Summer at the Movies is a series we do where we take some clips from a popular film and we use them to demonstrate godly principles. And you're so welcome if you're joining us as a guest or your first time here today. Um, I wonder if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, who's enjoyed this series so far? Yeah? That's great. I hope you have. I hope you've had fun. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been inspired. And I'm believing that we're going to have more of the same today. The film I'm going to be looking at as we look through this today is a film called The Martian. The Martian was released a few years ago. Don't worry if you haven't seen this film yet. That's absolutely fine. I'm going to guide you through each clip. I'll make sense of them as they come up. But let me help you out a little bit right off the bat if you haven't seen this film before. There are no aliens involved in this film. A common misconception amongst people who hadn't watched it when they heard I was going to speak on it was they thought there was going to be a high presence of aliens. Don't worry, no aliens were harmed in the making of this film. When it comes to films, there's actually a little bit of a difference of opinion in my house. See, my wonderful wife, Hannah, she really doesn't like this sort of disaster genre of film. I, on the other hand, really enjoy these type of films. I think for Hannah, it's this idea of, why would I even want to believe that could possibly happen? Me, on the other hand, I'm sort of on the edge of my seat. I'm cheering them on every step of the way, you know, and when it, even when the hero doesn't look like he's going to make it through, I'm sort of wishing him on, and it gets to the end of the film, and it looks like, finally, he's going to make it. I'm sort of on the edge of my sofa, ready to jump up and celebrate and maybe sing, I'm a survivor. <laughs> Trust me, that's absolutely never happened. <laughs> Don't sing. That would be an awful way to start the day. But The Martian um, is a great film. I enjoyed it. I, I'm sure you'll go away wanting to watch it if you haven't already, but I'm really excited to be able to share with you some thoughts from it and from the Bible as we go along today. You might have noticed when you came in you didn't receive any teaching notes. No mistake there, uh, we're not doing teaching notes for this series, but if you have the version app on your phone or device, you can click on that, and in the events section, you'll see an event called the C3 Church, and that's got my preach headings for today and some discussion questions if you want to go deeper into this preach maybe during the week. The Martian is based on a book, a best-selling book by an author called Andy Weir. I have one slight problem when it comes to films that are based on books, or not so much with the fact that they're based on a book, but with people who've read the book first. These people love to try and ruin what up until this point has been quite an enjoyable experience with one little phrase they love to use. It's not like the book. Well, that's why this series is called Summer at the Movies, not Summer in the Library, just saying. <laughs> Some of you that hit home, you're like, yeah, I know there's people in my life. In a moment, we're going to take our first look at our first clip from The Martian. But before we do, let me just set the scene for you. This film is set in the year 2035, and the Ares 3 crew are halfway through a manned mission to Mars. They're about halfway through their stay on Mars when they're hit by an unexpected storm. 
In the clip that we're about to see, you'll see five of the six astronauts are in their living quarters, their hab, and one of them, the astronaut Martinez, is doing some routine checks at their spacecraft. Based on current escalation, estimate a force of 8,600 newtons. What's the abort force? 7,500. Anything more than that, no map can tip. Who is scrub? Begin abort procedure. They are estimating with a margin of error. We could wait it out. Let's wait it out. Let's wait it out. Commander. Prep emergency departure. Commander. We're scrubbed. That's an order. Martinez, how long before takeoff? 12 minutes. We're at 10 degrees, and the map is going to tip at 12.3. Hey! We might be able to keep the map from tipping! Help! Use the cables with the compass guidelines! Anchor it with the rover! Warning! Suit breach detected. What happened? He was hit! Why did he report? Before we lost telemetry, you think a pressure alarm went off? Yo, Hudson! Where'd you at? He's offline! I can't! I don't know where he is! What is the final on his suit? He's offline! Negative. He's Complete offline. loss of signal on Watney. Vic! Yeah! How long can he survive decompression? Less than a minute. Line up! Walk west! He may be prone. We don't want to step over him. Commander? Warning. We're at 10.5 degrees. Excessive tilt. Tilting to 11. Warning. With all the ghosts of wind. Copy that! Everyone, hold in on Martinez's suit. It'll get you to airlock. Get in, prep for launch. What about you, Commander? I'm gonna search a little longer. Get moving. Go! 1D! 1D, report! The map's at 11.6 degrees. One good gust and we're tipping. If it tips, you launch. You really think I'm gonna leave you behind? That's an order, Martinez.
Sometimes life strikes us with the unexpected. We're hit by a blow that we just simply never saw coming. And in the middle of that, the overwhelming feeling that we have is that no one even sees me right now. As we look at this film today, I also want us to look at an unexpected storm in the Bible. This storm appears in the book of Acts. And the central character in this storm is a guy called Paul. He wrote a large chunk of the New Testament. He doesn't write this passage. This passage is written by a guy called Luke. But in this story that we're about to pick up, he's been falsely accused in Jerusalem. He's been falsely convicted. And he's appealed to Caesar. And to have his appeal heard, he's got to make the long journey to Rome as a prisoner. And it's on one of the legs of this journey that he's on a ship which is hit by a storm. And in Acts chapter 27, verse 20, it says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now, I urge you, keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. It says that the crew had given up all hope of being saved. And at that moment, Paul stood up with a promise from God. He said, take courage, not one of you will be lost. I need you to Write this down somewhere today. Because whether you are going through a storm right now or whether maybe you need to prepare for a storm you may one day face, you need to know this promise. I will not be lost. I will not be lost. In the storm that has whipped up in my life, in the unexpected events that have come my way, I will not be lost. I cannot be lost when there's a savior who is more powerful than the storm. I want to tell you today there's a Savior who is stronger than any storm that you might be facing. There's a Savior who is more powerful than any situation that might have come your way. I will not be lost. Maybe you feel today like no one sees me. Maybe you feel like all you can do is just keep breathing. 
Maybe all you can do is just keep showing up. It's as much as you can do to be faithful today. I want to encourage you. Help is not on the way. Help has already arrived. Help is not on the way. Help has already arrived. You see, this film had a little tagline they used to advertise it on the trailers. It said, when help is only 400 million miles away. But I want to tell you that help isn't 400 miles away. Help is right there beside you. Because your Savior has promised to never leave or forsake you. He has promised to be there right alongside you. You might not feel like he's there, but he is there. He promises that he will be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is with you in your storm. I wonder if you'd help me out by just turning to your neighbor, telling them the title for my message today, Help Has Arrived. We're going to take a look at our next clip from the film, and for some of you, this might come as a little bit of a surprise. Hello, this is... Mark Watney, astronaut. I'm entering this log for the record uh, in case I don't make it. Uh, it is 0653 on Sol 19, and I'm alive, obviously, but I'm guessing that's going to come as a surprise to my crewmates and to NASA and to the entire world, really. So. Surprise, I did not die on Sol 18, uh, best I can figure. This length of our primary communications antenna broke off and tore through my biomonitor and ripped a hole in me as well. Uh, but the, the antenna and, and the blood really managed to seal the breach in my suit, which kept me alive, even though the crew must have thought I was dead. I have no way to contact NASA, and even if I could, it's going to be four years until a manned mission can reach me. And I'm in a hab designed to last 31 days. If the oxygenator breaks, I'm gonna suffocate. If the water reclaimer breaks, I'll die of thirst. If the hab breaches, I'm just gonna kind of implode. And if by some miracle none of that happens, eventually I'm gonna run out of food. So, yeah.
gonna die here. I wonder how many of you have ever felt lonely, ever felt isolated, ever felt scared. I know that I have. If I let you into a little bit of me, I've always hated feeling lonely. Ever since I was a child, I hated feeling lonely, but I quite like spending time by myself. I'm quite happy to spend time on my own. I hate feeling lonely, though. And I started to think as I watched this film and then watched this clip a few times preparing for today, what's the difference between being on my own and feeling lonely? And I believe it's the presence of fear. You see, fear impacts the way we think, it impacts the way we process, it impacts the way we behave. And the clip we just saw, Watney's alive, surprise. But as he's had time to contemplate, as he's had time to consider, he realizes that death could be a drawn-out inevitability or it could come at any instant. As he thinks about this, he, you can see fear rising in him. And in that moment, he has a choice to make. Will fear control him, or will it stimulate him to action? Will it cause him just to freeze where he is, or will it stimulate him to move? I believe that when the unexpected strikes in our life, the danger is that fear rises in us, and it causes us to freeze. It overwhelms us completely. But I want to encourage you today, that a journey of faith starts with a step. If we go back to that story we were looking at in the book of Acts, it runs over from 27 into chapter 28. Paul's ship has run aground on a sandbar. It is smashed up in the waves. And somehow, all of the crew and the prisoners make it safely to shore, floating on bits of debris. And Paul's there, and it says, what, what Paul does next just struck me so much. Because in Acts 28, verse 3, it says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and put it on the fire. I'm like, Paul, mate, do you not realize you've been falsely accused, falsely convicted, you're on an appeal sentence, you're a prisoner, you've nearly died in a shipwreck, you're freezing cold. But Paul understood the power of a step. What is he doing? I'm just going to do the next thing I've got to do. I'm going to gather some wood, put it on the fire. Just take the next step. He just starts with a step. Please hear me on this because what I would hate you to do is to go away with a mindset today feeling like you've somehow got to strive to get somewhere, strive to do something in your own strength, that you've got to just work that bit harder. I don't believe that's biblical and I don't believe that would be useful for you in your storm. But I believe there's a key difference between being frozen with fear and taking a small step of faith empowered by the Spirit of God inside us. A journey of faith starts with a step. You see, what the enemy would love us to do is he'd love to see fear completely grip our lives and cause us to freeze. He would like to see us so overcome with fear that we are unable to do anything at all. But I believe, as we were reminded this morning, the Spirit of God is more powerful than fear. The thing is, sometimes when we think about a step, it can seem so small in the scale of the challenges that we're facing that it seems insignificant, almost unworth taking. But I know this, that one step followed by another step 
another step, and another step makes a journey of faith. It just starts with a step. A journey of faith starts with a step, but it continues in community. Watney's alive, and he embarks on a mission to fulfill that statement we saw at the end of the clip. I'm not going to die here. He embarks on this step-by-step mission of somehow trying to stay alive against all the odds. It's a riveting watch. If you haven't seen it, I I would recommend it. But as I watched this film, the second thing that really hit me was a lot later in the film. And it was the power of a crew. You see, his crew have gone off because they believe with certainty that he must be dead. They go off thinking he must be completely lost. But as you see this next clip, you'll see that they are about to find out for the first time that Watney's only realistic chance of survival comes if they turn around and go and pick him up. And that's what we're going to see in a second. But as I watched that, I was so struck by the power of a crew. I want to encourage you, you need to be in a crew. God didn't design us to live in isolation, somehow trying to do life on our own, supporting ourselves. God designed us to live in relationship with others around us. He designed us to know the support, encouragement, the care of others in our life. So the clip we're about to see, they're going to receive a coded message, the crew. And they're going to find out that, as I said, his only realistic chance relies on them going back, but it will be against the express command of NASA. What's up? I just got an email from my wife, and the subject line says, uh, our children. My computer won't open the attachment. Okay. Let's take a look. Uh, Let's see. This isn't a JPEG. It's It's a plain ASCII text file. I don't really know what we're looking at. It's, um... Does that make any sense to you? Bridge Purnell maneuver. It's a course maneuver for the Hermes. My God. The mission concludes with Earth intercept 211 days later. Would it work? Mm Mm-hmm. We ran the numbers. They check out. It's a brilliant course. It's so wild, a cloak and dagger. Because it goes directly against NASA's decision. Yeah. If we do the maneuver, they'd have to send the supply ship where we die. We have the opportunity to force their hand. So, are we gonna do it? If it was up to me, we'd already be on our way. But it is though, isn't it? Up to you? <laughs> Not this time. This is something NASA expressly rejected. We're talking about mutiny here, which is not a word that I take lightly. So we do this together or not at all. And before you answer, consider the consequences. If we mess up the supply rendezvous, we die. If we mess up the Earth gravity assist, we die. If we do everything perfectly, we had 533 days to our mission. 533 more days before we see our families again. 500. And 33 days of unplanned space travel where anything could go wrong. If it's mission critical, we die. Sign me up. All right, cowboy, slow down. You and I were military. Chances are we go home, they'll court martial us. Oh, yeah, there's that. And for the rest of you guys, I guarantee they will never send you back up here again. Good. So if we go for it, how, uh, how would it work? I plot the course and execute it. 
Remote override. They could take over the Hermes for mission control. Can you disable it? Hermes has four redundant flight computers, each connected to three redundant comm systems. We can't shut down the comms because we'd lose telemetry and guidance, and we can't shut down the computers because we need to run the ship. I'd have to disable remote override on each system. It's part of the OS. I'd have to jump over the code. Okay, but like in English, like what would that mean? I can do it. Great. Well, it has to be unanimous. If we do this, it will be over 900 days of space. That's more than enough space for one life, so yes. I vote yes. Let's go get him. Johansson? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, a crew doesn't need time to consider whether they will leave another behind. Doesn't need time to consider whether they'll do what is uncomfortable to reach another one of their team that have been left. Doesn't need time to consider will they reach out and pick the other person up. Church, this is the beauty of living in community. This is the beauty of living in relationship with others. That when we fall down, we have someone to pick us up, that we can be there to support other people. That's why God designed us to live in relationship. He designed us to function in community. As I read that story in Acts, I was just struck by one final thing. It gets to the, almost the very end of this story. Paul's nearly made it to Rome now. And in Acts chapter 28, verse 15, it says, The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. At the very sight of these people, it says that Paul was encouraged. I wonder, do you have a crew of encouragers in your life? Do you have people that even the sight of them lifts your spirit, encourages you? Do you have people who care for you, support you, lift you up? I know what it's been like in my life to live in community with a crew, with people who've cared for me, supported me, encouraged me, who've met needs practically in my life, who've come alongside me with a word of encouragement, sometimes have come alongside me with a word of challenge. Because you know what? People who really love you don't always say the things you want to hear because they really love you. I've known what it's like to have that community in my life. And I just want to offer a little challenge to some of you today. Maybe you need to make room in your life for community. Maybe you need to make some room in your life to get in a crew, to be in relationship with other people. Maybe you've been going alone a little bit too long, living, trying to survive step by step, but you need people around you, encouraging you, supporting you. You might need to reprioritize some stuff in your life to make room for that. You might need to change some stuff around. It might not be easy, but it's worth pursuing. I believe that God's fullness for your life comes when we live in community. God's fullness for your life comes when we've got others around us. I believe that is how God designed us and how God wants us to live. Sometimes we think about the cost of not living in relationship with others. And I think the danger is when we do that, we limit it down to just how it affects me. I think our thought process goes something along these lines. 
If I don't show up today, well, maybe I'll miss out on a good conversation. Maybe I will miss out on a word of encouragement for my life. Maybe even this week I'll feel a little bit less inclined towards God, but I think I can handle it this week. But you know what? Living in community is always bigger than the impact it has on me. Because maybe God wanted to use you that time to bring a word of encouragement to someone else. Maybe he wanted to use you to encourage and lift up someone who was down in the dumps that evening. Maybe he wanted to use you to be the person who raises others up. It's always bigger than just me. It affects me and others. That's the nature of community. You know what? The primary reason that we do small groups here at C3, we call them C3 groups, is because we want to create context for community to develop, for people to be in groups, in crews where they're known, loved, and cared for, where you can encourage and support each other on. It says in the word, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, we want to be sharp. We want to know that sharpening that comes from living in community. And you saw on the news, we've got a C3 Groups Fair coming up in a couple of weeks. It's your opportunity to meet some leaders, to find out about the different groups that are going on. I want to encourage you. I believe that some of you need to commit in your heart right now that you're going to get invested in community going forward, that you're going to find a group and get planted I believe when you get planted, you're going to flourish into everything that God has for your life. I believe God designed us to live that way. What's the cost if we continue to live in isolation? Well, certainly don't fool yourself. It's not just you who's going to miss out. Others will miss out on what you bring as well. I want to encourage you. A journey of faith starts with a step, but it continues in community. And then it must motivate us to move. In a moment, we'll take a look at our last clip from this film. And you know, this film's really meant to document one man's will to survive against all the odds. One man's creative ingenuity to somehow stay alive. You could call it like an unearthly survival technique that he has. But after his display of brilliance, that alone won't save him. It's quite a long film. It's, it's just over two hours, and it is quite absorbing watching him take step by step to stay alive. But after all that, you realize it comes down to one moment. One moment that will be the difference between him floating off into space forever and him being saved. It comes down to one moment and one hand. Let's take a look. I have visual on the map. What's the intercept range? I'm checking. 312 meters. Did you say 312? Great, I'll wave at you guys as I go by. I can't get to you, Mark. You're too far. I'm not gonna make it. I know. Beck, unhook me. I'm going after him. Commander, I got this. On my way, Commander. Johansson, what's my relative velocity to mark? 5.2 meters per second. Copy. Adjusting course.
Distance to target, 24 meters. 11 meters to target. <laughs> Six meters. <laughs> <laughs> comes down to one moment, one hand, and the words, I've got him. After all his will to survive, it comes down to this one hand right there. She says, I got him. I believe Jesus would say to you today, I've got you. I got you. I know this isn't how you thought it was going to work out. I know your life feels full of pain right now. I know you wonder what's going on with your family. I know you're scared about your health, worried about your finances. I've got you. In the middle of the storm that is raging around you, Jesus reaches out his hand and would say, I've got you. I've got you. You know, Jesus lived with his arms outstretched. You only need to read the Gospels and you see how he lived his arm, with his arms outstretched to, to children, to the broken, to the hurting, to those that society said were unacceptable, to those who'd been trodden down, broken, and hurting. He lived with his arms outstretched. Then he chose to die on a cross with his arms outstretched because he loved us so much that he wanted to be able to have a relationship with us. And he rose again. You know what? His arms are still outstretched today. His arms are still reaching out and they're still reaching out to you no matter what you are going through today. In Romans chapter 8, Paul, the same guy we saw stuck in that shipwreck, writes this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present, the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is a guy who had track experience of storms in his life. This is a guy who went through it. I'm sorry, I can't promise you won't go through it, but in the middle of whatever you're going through, Jesus would say, I've got you. Maybe as you've heard me sharing with you today, you think, well, that's um, great to know that Jesus reaches out his hand, but I don't know that I have ever grabbed hold of his hand. I don't know that I have ever reached out and said, yeah, Jesus, I want to take hold of you. I want to make you my Lord. I want to live life with you as my Lord. Or maybe one day you held tight to Jesus' hand, but 
through the storms that have come your way, somehow you've slowly drifted away and it wasn't that Jesus let go of you, but stuff got in the way. Today, you can choose to take hold of Jesus' hand again because his hands are still reaching out to you. In a moment, we're going to pray a prayer. We'll pray it together as a church family. We'll pray it out loud. But as we, as we do that, if that's you today, you feel like, I don't think I've ever taken his hand, or I need to retake Jesus' hand, you can do that. Just pray the prayer along with the rest of the church here. Pray it out loud, and if that was you, I'm just going to ask you once we've prayed the prayer, just to simply slip your hand up and say, yeah, that was me today. I knew I had to take hold of Jesus' hand. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes just to respect this moment, and would you pray after me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that your arms are open for me. 